Okay, go ahead. What is the question? Okay, how can we know that we are converted? What are the evidences of true conversion? That's the question before us. All right. Any, well, let me be the first one. Let me be the first one to answer. And we'll go to Matthew 7. Matthew 7 for this. Matthew seven thirteen. Matthew seven thirteen from thirteen to twenty nine. Seven thirteen. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand." And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Jesus says in verses 13 and 14, that there is a narrow gate, a small gate, narrow is the way, and few find it. Now this few would be few out of the many who claim to find it, because he's going to describe the claimers, the name it and claimers, in 15 and following. Because there are false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're really ravenous wolves, bloodthirsty wolves. But you'll know the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet, a true brother and a false brother, a true believer and a false believer. How? 16 to 20. In 16, you will know them by their fruits. Verse 20. So then you will know them by their fruits. The way that they live, the way that they believe, their values, the way they think. You'll know them by their fruits. And then 21 to 22, these are the fakers. Because the fakers are doing things in the name of Christ, but they don't really know Christ, and Christ, is, Christ does not know them. We know that because of verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I, Christ, never knew you, you fakers. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So their fakery is evidenced by their lawlessness. They don't live according to the law of God. And then finally, 24 to 27, this parable of the wise man and foolish man. Who is the foolish man? Uh, I mean, who is the wise man? 24. 24 says the wise man. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. 
The wise man obeys, acts, does what Jesus says. The foolish man doesn't do it. He, he hears about it, he knows about it, but he doesn't care to do it. And the common teaching is just like here, the scribes in 28 to 29. The common teaching in Christianity is not speaking forthrightly like this. The common teaching is, oh, it's okay. Just stay the way you are. God loves you as you are. Stay as you are. You'll be going to heaven. A lot, all of us are going to heaven. Don't sweat it. But if we teach with authority like Jesus did, we'll say it like it is. We'll speak forthrightly and be plain spoken and not mince words. We're not going to pull punches. We're just going to say it like it is, like Jesus did. And that's the authority of the Word of God. So the righteous man will appreciate, the true believer will appreciate the authority of the Word of God, and he'll act upon it. Okay, any more? Yes. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Um, so, much like you just said, the, the fruit is evident in verse 1. The blessed man, the righteous man, the converted man uh, has a good fruit. He doesn't have bad fruit. He doesn't walk in wicked counsel, listening to wicked men, doing what they say. Um, going with the path of sinners, uh, sinning with other sinners. Um, but the evidence of his salvation is his delight in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on his law day and night in verse 2. So a converted man loves the word of God, delights in it, wants to learn what it says and how he can apply God's word to his life. And when he does, then he is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water in verse 3. So if if we're prospering in grace and pursuing righteousness, that's because we're delighting in the law of the Lord. And if we're not prospering in grace and righteousness, then it's because we're not delighting in the law of the Lord. And then he gives his judgment in verses 4 and 5 that the unconverted are the wicked are like chaff which the wind drives away, and the wicked will not stand in the judgment. And that brings us to the fear of the Lord. So a righteous man believes this, believes that the wicked will be judged. And then in verse 6, the righteous man has assurance and confidence that he belongs to the Lord and that his way will not perish. Explain what is chaff which the wind drives away. What is chaff? So chaff is the useless parts of, of the crop, whether it's wheat or whatever it is. It's um, the ends of the, the sheaf, the little pieces of grass that aren't good for anything, aren't good for eating. Their only, only purpose is to be burned up. Only burned up, or they're so light that the wind blows them away, and you don't care if the wind blows them away. That's the way wicked people are to God, like chaff. Okay, thank you. Another brother? Yes? Uh, Romans 6, 12 Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 12. Romans six twelve to 23. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know 
that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, so Paul says that we are as believers, a new man, should now let uh, sin reign in his mortal body. And we should not obey should be put to death. Uh, sin shall not be master over us. Uh, we are not to live under uh, sin because we have presented ourselves as uh, slaves of God. When we repent of our sin, we ask for forgiveness and He forgives us. So we should have this uh, uh, hunger uh, to pursue righteousness. Uh, we uh, in 17 uh, says, Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching uh, to which you were committed. So if we had this mindset of uh, being uh, obedient to a master, that would be uh, we are either slaves of sin or slaves of God. In uh, verse 21, Things we used to do that should bring shame to us. We should hate them, which is uh, our past life. And then he explains that the wages of uh, those things we used to do is death. But God has uh, the gift of uh, eternal, eternal life in Christ Jesus. So that should be the right mindset of the person who claims to be a believer. Good. Stay away from sin. Right. We were slaves of sin. Now we are slaves of God. What we used to enjoy, we now detest, we hate, and we want to practice righteousness. Thank you. Yes? Continuing on to Romans 7, 1 to 13. Romans 7, 1 to 13. Romans 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am writing... To those, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said You shall not covet. 
But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. So, um, I wanted to highlight that the two types of women in the early parts of chapter 7, so one being a married woman bound by law to her husband while he is living, um, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband uh, but, and then the other example of a woman being bound to another man while her husband is living, one of them is producing bad fruit and the other is producing, you know, she's, she's doing the right thing, right? So, you know, you can clearly see which one is wicked and the other who is following the law and perhaps righteous. So... Um, so just to give you kind of two polarizing examples of that um, <clears throat> so one thing that it also highlights um, is that you know Paul asks if the law is sin when discussing uh, when discussing the, uh, the law itself um, you know may it never be you know, can also read, like, absolutely not. So, um, and that Paul would have not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, uh, had not said, you shall not covet. So, this is just one example um, of the many commandments that were told uh, within the Bible. So, to abide by the law. So, and, and not just saying, oh, because I'm quote unquote saved, that I can just do whatever I want. So, just want to head that off in the past because there are those who say that, you know, because you are quote unquote saved and you've said some words, then you can just do whatever you want. You can go on continuing in your sin. So, and we shouldn't be doing that. After conversion, it is a progressive sanctification in which we're, you know, recognizing the sin, getting rid of it, recognizing the sin, getting rid of it, recognizing the sin, getting rid of it. So, um, and you, need, you know, you do that through fellowship with your brothers, through reading the Bible over and over and over again, and recognizing things that are in your life, you know, that are at it says in uh, Romans seven thirteen um, that sins are utterly sinful. All sins, any disobedience to any commandment that is written in the Bible, would be considered utterly sinful. Thank you. The Bible is perfect. We are imperfect. So when we are exposed to the Bible, it shows how sinful, utterly sinful we are, and we need redemption in Christ. Yeah. Also, in verses 4 to 6, look at verse 4 where he says that when we are joined to Christ, it says, bear fruit for God. Bear fruit. We want good fruit. Bear fruit for God. But then when we are in the flesh, our old nature, before conversion, he says in verse 5, bear fruit for death. For God or for death? Rotten fruit for death. But if we are in Christ, then we have, we serve Christ in the newness of the Spirit, verse 6 says. 
newness of the spirit. Okay, another one? You have one? First Peter one, twenty two to two, three. Okay. First Peter chapter one, first Peter chapter one, verses twenty two to chapter two, verse three. First Peter one twenty two. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So we see here that it is the word of God that saves you, and it is the only thing that will endure forever. That is the thing which we should be looking to and that it needs to be preached to you in order for you to be saved, and the things that will be characteristic of you if you have uh, heard the word of God and believed it, is that you will love the brotherhood, that you will uh, put aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, and that you will long for the word of God so that you may grow in salvation. And he says, if you have tasted. So he's, he's challenging you there to see if these things are true of you. Yes, it is the living, abiding, eternal word of God that saves us. That's chapter 1, 22, 25. And it teaches us how to live, how to love one another. And loving one another in chapter 2, verse 1, is rejecting those sins, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, rejecting those sins in our life, repenting of those sins, and then like newborn babes or newborn babies, infants, who want the milk of the mother, they cry for it. That's the way we should be, crying for the milk of the Word of God. And this is the case for those truly converted or truly born again. Because he says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, that will be characteristic of you if you first tasted the good word of God as a newborn infant. But most people are not newborn infants. Most people think that they are born again, but they don't live like a newborn infant. They're not crying for the milk. They're not crying for the milk, they're not newborn. Okay, another? Yes? I have um, John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. John 15, John 15, 18 and 19. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Another test we can use to see if we have been redeemed is how the world views us and our beliefs. Does it hate us as God tells us the world will hate us if he has chosen us out of the world? So this is a test we can use. When we say, they say love is love, but we say no, sodomy is a sin, and it's actually hate, they're going to hate us. That's a practical example of how we can know we have been redeemed. And we'll stand, stand fast, be steadfast in that, and defend the word of God against the world. The test if you start to live righteously according to God's word, the people all around you, your, your family, your friends, your co-workers, 
wherever you go, the people around you are going to start hating you. Because just because, like Psalm 1 said, you don't live their way anymore. You don't want to live their way anymore. You, when they used to say, hey, let's go out and do this, and you say, no thanks, I'm not, I'm not about that anymore. The Lord has changed me. If you say something like that, gonna, their eyes are going to open, their mouths are going to gape, and then they're going to start lashing out at you. Either to your face or backstab you, and they're going to hate you. That's what he means here. If you were of them, they would love you. They like it when they sin, everybody sins together. But when somebody doesn't want to sin anymore, then they're going to hate you. And actually, since we're in, go ahead. Okay, First Peter four three to five. What I, but before we leave John, there's John seven seven. This is a verse we should be able to memorize. Seven seven, John seven seven. Because of the reference, it says this: John seven seven. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why does the world hate Christ? Because Christ testifies of the world that the world's deeds are evil. In the first example from John 15, all we said was, you just live differently and you say, no, thank you. They're going to hate you. But then, if you take it a step further, like John 7, 7, and say, listen, you're boasting in committing adultery, but that is a sin, and you're going to go to hell for that. You better repent. If you take it up one notch like that, like John 7, 7 says, you testify to your friend that his deeds are evil, he's going to hate you. He's going to absolutely despise you and hate you. And it's going to get more heated because you say that's evil, that's a sin. Or like you said, sodomy or drunkenness or any other sin, you <laughs> point it out to people, they will despise you. Okay, so now also 1 Peter 4 1 Peter 4. And by the way, everybody here pretty much has had that experience already. Yes. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. And we'll read 1 to 5. 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they shall give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. When we believed in Christ... We put to death the old nature and we are living the rest of our time, verse 2, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. When we live for the will of God, having sinned in those ways in the past, verse 3, those friends will be now our enemies. And then what's going to happen? They're going to be surprised that you don't run with them, really chasing their sins. Running after their sins. It says run. It doesn't say walk or leisurely stroll. It doesn't say anything. It says run with them. So they are uh, both feet in, in their sins. And you used to do that. They go into the excess of dissipation. Dissipation is lack of self-control. It's more like a wanton lack of self-control. You've got no self-control about what, you're, what, what you want to do. So that's what their sin is. And so what are they going to do? Are they going to say, Hey friend, 
I noticed a great change in your life. Can you tell me about it? I want to change too. I want to repent of my sins. Will they do that? No. It says right there, they malign you. They malign you. Meaning they're going to slander you. They're going to say evil things about you. They're not going to say, how can I be like you? It never happens. Nobody that I know has ever said, not to me or to others, you know, I've seen a great change in your life. I want to be just like you. Will you teach me? Never. It's never. It's always hostility because they're not true believers. They're not true converts. Or they don't want to be true believers or true converts. Thank you. Okay, another passage? You have one? Uh, yes. First uh, John 1. First John. First John 1, verses 5 to 10. First John chapter 1, 5 to 10. First John 1, 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Also, chapter 2, verses 36. Chapter 2, 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And then, uh, lastly, 1 John 3, verses 9 and 10. 1 John 3, 1 John 3, 9 and 10. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. The message that John is giving us, all of us, is to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And the true test is, do we love His commandments? Do we keep His commandments? Or are they a burden to us? And this is the same message that even Jesus Himself gave. Um, because the one who loves His commandments is going to keep His commandments. He's going to walk in His Word. And John tells us in First John 1 that if we say we uh, love God, if we say we have fellowship with God, if we say we walk in the light, but yet we love our sin and we love the things of the world, he calls us a liar, and that we don't practice the truth, and we actually, in fact, hate God when we do that. And just as uh, the same in chapter 2, the one, this is how we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. So all of this is just more testing, like everybody else has been saying, is further proof so that we can know for ourselves and for others around us to see if we are truly and actually uh, believing in the Word of God, what it's saying, or is it just merely uh, words that is coming out of our mouth? Because if it is, then it's worthless, and it's actually um, it's disgusting towards God, and God hates it, and He hates our, our worship because of it. Because, like in chapter 3, it says, um, in verse 10, if we're not serving God, we're actually serving Satan. We're serving the devil. We're children of uh, of Satan. 
And so if we are children of Satan, then we cannot be believers of God. We cannot be believers and followers of Christ. It's either one or the other. Either one or the other. And 1 John 3.10 says it's obvious. We're either children of God or the children of the devil. It's obvious. Thank you. Next, yes. Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. 16 to Galatians 5, 16. Galatians 5, 16. Galatians 5. Let's start at verse 13. Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, Factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Um, this passage is a comparison between uh, the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. Sin. Uh, those who are unsaved, they they love um, and they revel in these sins described in chapter verses 19 through uh, 21, and also uh, in verse uh, 15, uh, those who are unsaved, they also love to bite and devour. They love conflict and um, and contention, and then. Uh, we're also we're also instructed to not be boastful uh, or envious in verse 26. So those those sins are contrasted with uh, the fruit that the Spirit of God produces in us in verses 22 uh, to 25. We would have these things in our lives, and we would be seeking to grow in them, and repenting of the others and hating the others, um, and striving to live by the Spirit uh, as He teaches us through the Word of God. Right, and 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says, we have crucified our flesh. We have put it to death. He means that when we identify with Jesus' death, we are identifying with the fact that our sins must be killed. That's what he's saying. They must be killed with its passions and desires. That's what we must kill, or we do kill when we believe that Jesus died for us. If we killed our sins, then we're not living in them anymore because they're dead. They're dead to us. Also, in this list of 20, uh, verses 19 to 23, 19 to 23, the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit, he says that 
It's evident. Remember, John said obvious. Paul says here, 5.19, the deeds of the flesh are evident. People can't say, well, I don't know. It's confusing. It's not obvious to me. It's not clear to me. Well, Paul says it is clear. Immorality is sin. Impurity is sin. Sensuality is sin. Idolatry is sin. Sorcery is sin. Enmities and so forth, all are sins, right? And then he says in 21, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But most people in most churches think, verses 19 to 21, that you can be a Christian and immoral. You can be a Christian and an idolater. You can be a Christian and a sorcerer. You can be a Christian and a disputer. You can be a Christian and a carouser. You can be a Christian and a drunkard. They think that way. They literally think that way. And the moment we say that their deeds are evil, they will hate us. But Paul said he had already forewarned them, and he's forewarning them again, that what? Those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to heaven. They're not saved. They're not born again. They're not believers. They're all fake. They're fakers, not believers. So if any person says that to you, that you can be a, you know, immoral Christian or, you know, a, a drunken Christian, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe that person or Paul, who was inspired by God? Right. So, don't believe them. It's the overwhelming number of people who think that you can practice sins and still be a Christian. You'll, you'll be going to heaven. Not true. You have a verse? Any more verses? Yes? First uh, John 4. First John chapter 4. First John 4. First uh, John 4. 4 to 6. 4, 4 to 6? Yes. 1 John 4, 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So uh, John is talking to the believers. Uh, he tells them, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them wicked ones, because greater is he, greater is God who is in us, that he the devil who is in the world uh, because God ultimately will cast Satan in hell and he's going to crush him uh, we are from God he who knows God listens to us if you were from God what we're telling you, you should be saying this is true because what we're telling you is from the Bible and it is the truth uh, he who is not from God does not listen to us. But this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So what we're telling you the truth, you should say, yes, this is true. And this is going to happen also to you when you tell it to someone else. You're not going to, you're going to, they are expecting for you to tell them, hey, let's smoke cigarettes. Uh, not expecting for you to tell them, let's read the Bible. You uh, invite them to smoke cigarettes. They will gladly say, but if you tell them to read the Bible, they'll tell them, no, I don't have nothing to do with uh, God. And on, that's on everything uh, that you would, because the man of God should be focused on the things of God and uh, not on the things of the world. Uh, Before we leave that passage, yes. verse 6 again. Yes. What we've been teaching right now yes. for the last um, 45 minutes has been the scripture. There's been a little bit of commentary 
but mostly we're reading the scripture and highlighting some of the points of scripture. Therefore, we're not preaching the wisdom of men. We're not preaching our opinions. We're not preaching our preferences. We're not preaching our childhood experiences. We're not preaching uh, philosophy or how we look at the world. We're not preaching anything like that. We're just telling you what's in the Bible. And that's what he means. He who knows God listens to us. 1 John 4, 6. If you know God, you will listen to us because the us is only equipped with the Word of God. And therefore, if you are of God, you truly do believe in the gospel of Christ, then these words will resonate with you. They will be in harmony with your heart, with your spirit. You won't be kicking and screaming inside saying, this is disgusting, this is detestable, I hate this, I don't want to hear this again. It's grating against my nerves. They're accusing me of this. They hate people. They hate me. That those kinds of thoughts should not be inside you. But rather, this is the truth. I love this. It's like I'm eating a wonderful dinner and with dessert. This is the way it feels. I really want to consume more. I want to eat more of this. Or like the newborn infant, long for the pure milk of the word. That's what he means in verse 6. John the Apostle means, He who knows God listens to us. Because the us, all we have is the food of the Word of God. That's all we have for you. We don't have anything else. Then James 4, uh, 4, 4. James 4, 4. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Yes, uh, a new world man would even walk outside and look at the world as weak. You should see weakness everywhere, and your desire will be not to be friends with the world, but to be enemy of the world. Because you will have this, everywhere you go, you will see sin. It's easy to spot it. Uh, a modest woman, an idol, a bar, uh, it's everywhere. So yes, yes. If you were truly born again, and a new man of God, a new creation in Christ, then when you walk out into the world, you would see sin everywhere. And you would despise it. And you say, how can I get out of this world? I don't like to see sin all the time. It bothers me to see the sin. And therefore, you would be a friend of God if you looked at it that way. However, when you see the sin of the world and you smile, you're happy, you feel good about it, you want to embrace it, imbibe it, you want to go there, you want to do what they're doing, then you are a friend of the world and an enemy of God. It was a righteous lot. Righteous lot. Yes, righteous lot. Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter two, six to eight. Second Peter, chapter two, verse six. Second Peter two six. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. Lot, Lot was a relative, the nephew of Abraham, Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapters 18 and 19. And Peter, the apostle, describes Lot, the nephew of Abraham, as being righteous. Three times he calls him righteous. Verse 7, righteous Lot. Verse 8, righteous man. And in verse 9, godly from temptation to keep the unrighteous under punishment. Um, oh, twice in verse 8, righteous man, righteous soul. So, 
But what was happening all around Lot in the city of Sodom? The English word sodomite or homosexual comes from that city's name, the city of Sodom. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 19. It comes from that. And there's a long history in English of this word being in the English language. It's not a dirty word. It's not a curse word. We're not using obscenities or profanities. It's in the Bible, and it's in the laws of the country. The laws, even of the United States, still have, across the country, law books that describe that sin as a crime, and they call it sodomy. They call it sodomy. So sodomy is what Lot saw and heard all around him, and he was tormented by it. He didn't say, well, I'm curious. I wonder what it feels like. I wonder what, it, what goes on in that house. I wonder what those men do. I'd like to get close to it. No, he didn't want to get close to it. He wanted to run in the opposite direction. His soul was tormented. He wanted nothing to do with it. That's the way we should look at sin. Right. And actually, he literally did have to run away in Genesis 19 because the angels told him um, that he needed to escape and they grabbed his hand and they escaped with him. And they told him and his wife not to look back, but to run, to flee, flee to the mountains, get away. And so he didn't look back, but his wife did look back and became a pillar of salt. God destroyed the city with salt, fire and brimstone, and then turned his wife into salt because she looked back like James 4.4. 4. She wanted to be like the world. She wanted to be like them. And God destroyed her immediately. Okay. Any more? Yes. Just a point of clarification that was requested that uh, immorality means sexual immorality. Yes. Immorality has to do with sexual immorality. In the Bible, most of the places we find the word, it means sexual immorality. And sexual immorality has different forms. We just spoke of sodomy, adultery, fornication. Fornication is premarital sex, pornography, um, pedophilia, bestiality, man with the beast, like that. All of those are sins. You cannot marry a tree, though there are people who do that. You can't marry a dolphin, although people do that. You can't do that. That's all sin. So immorality is sexual immorality. Immorality, generally speaking, if you're in another context, it could mean any kind of unethical behavior. It could be a synonym for unethical conduct. But in this context, we're talking about sexual immorality. All right. Thank you. Any more? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.